If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We've been making our way through Philippians this summer. The book of Philippians, right in the middle of your New Testament there, just after Ephesians and right before the book of Colossians. Like last week, we'll uh, continue there in chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. Um, it, it's, it's been a few years since I've taught two weeks in a row, um, back to back, so I was reminded this week, uh, man, that Sunday's coming. Like, I mean, it, Sunday's always coming, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Um, life gets in the way, but Sunday is coming, um, and it comes really quick, uh, but that is an amazingly good thing. That is an amazingly good thing, um, and it's always a great privilege to open God's Word with you all. I'm encouraged, motivated, and inspired by the words of Paul in this chapter. I'm inspired to get after Christ when I read what we're about to read, right? So if, if the word yearn was the word that shaped my studies last week, inspired is what shaped my studies this week. Um, when Paul gets done here, I'm ready to go, man. I mean, I'm, I'm just ready to get after it. Um, maybe you can think of where you get inspiration. Uh, some inspirational speech you've heard. Uh, I, I always think of uh, the, that old U.S. hockey coach, Herb Brooks, right? Um, the, the, the coach of the U.S. hockey team right before they faced the, uh, the Soviet Union in the Olympics, what, like 40-ish years ago? Right? Maybe you saw, uh, uh, like, the miracle on ice, right? Uh, there was no reason for our hockey team to be on the same ice as the Soviets, right? So maybe you saw the, the movie Miracle, right? Uh, Kurt Russell plays the coach. He walks into the locker room right before the game. He looks at his players. Great moments are born from great opportunities, and that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight, right? I, I'm ready to go when I hear that. I, I don't even know how to ice skate. But, but give me a jersey and some skates. Let's go. I've been ice skating one time in my life. It was my second date with Kendra, okay? We go up to this ice rink in Oklahoma City. We start skating. I gave a guy a bloody nose that night because I was flailing around like this. Knocked a guy out. I have not been on ice skate since. But I hear that speech, I'm ready to go. Let's go. That's how I feel reading Paul's words here. He is going to encourage the church to follow Christ and follow him hard. Now, Something that I find admirable about Kendra, my wife, is that over the years, um, she will often wake up at some ungodly hour, like 4 or 5 a.m., um, and go running. Uh, she will like meet a friend somewhere um, while it's dark out, and then they'll get their run on. Okay. And so I think of Kendra and her friend, uh, Jill Burnside. Love Jill. Good friend from Kingsland. 
Jill's a little older than uh, Kendra, and so I can only imagine all the wisdom that Kendra has soaked in over the years on their runs. All their miles run together. They don't run so much anymore. They, they walk fast. Um, but I, I love it. Um, or I can think of Kendra and her friend Robin Stover, um, who they'll meet up in the morning, even now, get some miles in, and I'm back at home laying in bed rooting them on. I'm thankful for that friendship. In fact, Kendra and Robin have done um, a, a few handful Houston half marathons together. Um, and so that's always on a Sunday in January, um, and they'll leave for downtown really early in the morning, and then, and then me and the kids will pile in the van and, and, and leave shortly after, um, and, and, and we'll, uh, we'll go find a place to park close to town. We always park at a, a Bed Bath & Beyond, right, on Kirby, um, and, and we wait. We, we wait for them. But you always, you know what we, we do before we park? We get donuts. Because watching 25,000 people run by you is exhausting. Um, so we need our carbs. And honestly, I'm just always so proud. I'm always so proud to, to see her run by. And, um, I, I remember one, one year she, she and Robin were running by. They stopped and we talk, hug, rooting for them, right? And then they get on their way. And I'm just so proud. Like, girl, you are crushing this. This is awesome. 13 miles and you act like it's nothing. Right? I'm, I'm done after three. Uh, I can't go anymore. But um, she and I are just built different. Right? Like, I, I get the whole Imago Day thing where we're, we're all made in the image of God. But she and I were built different. I mean, it's just, that's, just, that's just the case. One year she passes by, we, we leave, we go home, we turn the TV on, we are watching uh, the local news on one of the networks because they're covering the marathon. And so we're just watching this, we're waiting for uh, Kendra to text me to let me know she's finished and on, on her way home. And they've got, they're showing two newscasters sitting in these chairs on a platform, okay? They're, they're right in front of the convention center, and behind them, the way the camera is pointing, you see the finish line. Okay, they're just perfectly placed where you can see these runners uh, finish. And I tell you, it is an inspiring thing watching runners finish a race, isn't it? Watching on screen runner after runner after runner after... It, it, kids, come here, come here. Who's that? That's mama. That, that's mama. That's inspiring. So cool watching people finish a race, not to mention your own wife. That is a very helpful image for me as I read what we're about to read. I hope it's a helpful image for you as we turn our attention to Paul here. Paul is essentially talking about running this race of faith, that he's pressing on toward the finish line. He, he, he often uses different illustrations over the course of his letters in the New Testament, um, some roles from the world to communicate truth. Sometimes he's a soldier in the military. 
Um, sometimes he's a farmer talking agriculture. Here, he's an athlete. In the back half of Philippians 3, uh, three he, he brings athletics into play. We see Paul the runner. He is running a race, and he is running the race of the Christian life, and he is running hard after Christ. Now, one very important thing, um, right off the bat before we dive into our text. Paul is writing this letter just a few years before his eventual death in Rome. He is under house arrest. He has been through so much in his life. He has been miraculously converted to Christ. He has taught many others about Christ, and he has suffered greatly for the sake of Christ. He is an old man. His race is coming to an end, and glory is just around the corner for him. But this race, let's make it absolutely clear, is not a race for salvation. He is not running the race to be saved. He's not telling us in this passage how to be saved. If he were to do that, that would be a message of how to earn your salvation, and that would contradict what he just said in the first 11 verses of the chapter. About pointing to our pedigrees or our accomplishments for salvation. Our confidence isn't in those things like we learned last week. Our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. So he isn't talking about the race to earn salvation. If you're a Christian, Jesus has earned that for you. Jesus has won that race. And so what Paul is talking about here is what about after you become a Christian? Paul has just said in verse 9 that he's now found in him, that he doesn't have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but, but he has a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. He has the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So then, what now? Like, what happens after that? So this is a race of sanctification, a race being ran as a Christian. And so if we can say the same, that, that if our righteousness is given to us by God through faith in Christ, then this is a race that all of us are running as well. We are all runners. And we all still have some race left. Like if we're sitting here breathing, we've got some race left. Most of us aren't like that thief on the cross that we talked about last week. Um, That thief that was saved by Jesus on his cross and then was immediately taken away to be with him in paradise. Uh, In fact, Matt Williamson um, reminded me last week after the sermon, he he was like, isn't it cool that on Jesus's way out, he made sure to grab one more. That's awesome. Great thought, Matt. That's who Jesus is. Came to seek to save the lost. Um, you see, there, there, there wasn't really a race for that thief, though. He had a deathbed conversion, which is awesome. Uh, I believe my own dad had a deathbed conversion. I'm very hopeful that he did. Have you ever wondered why there aren't too many more examples of deathbed conversions in the Bible? I think it's because while they are absolutely awesome, 
Glory be to God. And while they are absolutely possible by only the grace of God, they just aren't the norm. They're not the norm. If you're a Christian in here, I don't think you were saved on your deathbed. I mean, it might. I mean, God can do anything. But that means you've been running, you are running, and you've got some running to do. And so I'll, I'll ask this question, and then we'll see what Paul says. What, what helps you run after Christ? What helps you run after him? What helps you get after him? What helps you to press on, not stagnating, focusing toward the finish line, yearning after him, daily growing in maturity? What helps us as a church get after Christ? Let's go. Verse 12. We're in chapter 3. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Awesome. Now, here's one thing I see that helps us get after Christ that Paul says here. In humility, admit that you have not arrived yet. Admit that you haven't arrived yet. yet. If you are sitting in here breathing, you have yet to cross the finish line. That hasn't happened. We are still running our races, right? Um, in fact, one week from right now, as we speak, the Gonzalez family will be headed north on our first leg of a two-week-long road trip. I imagine what I'll hear a lot is, are we there yet? And the answer, until we roll up into our driveway two weeks later, is no, not there yet. That is who we are on our race. Not there yet. Look what Paul says here in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Now, he, he's just talked about in verse 10 about attaining the resurrection from the dead. Remember, he is single-minded, he has a yearning to know Christ, to share in Christ's sufferings, and that by any means possible, he is going to attain this resurrection from the dead, this future resurrection that has been promised to all believers. That Paul and every believer in Christ will be part of a bodily resurrection, raised to share in Christ's glory. And so what Paul is saying here is, not there yet, 
No finish line for me yet, boys. Still some race left. You see, he is humbly acknowledging that there is still still so much spiritual growing for him left to do. Paul, still growing. He has not and will not come to a point in his spiritual life where he can say, I've arrived, I'm perfect. Mature people know how to admit they have yet to arrive. So be careful of any attitude you might have that would lead you to think that you've arrived. He, he says, I haven't attained perfection. And this idea of not already being perfect um, is this idea of it's not Paul that is making himself perfect. He's made perfect by something else or someone else. His life is perfected, yet it hasn't been brought to completion. The ultimate goal that God has for Paul's life, not yet. Not yet, Paul. You're still running, Paul. And if Paul is still running, that means he's still struggling with life. He's still sinning. Sinning won't stop until he's glorified with Jesus. That has not happened yet. And so there's a sense here that that Paul thinks that what he's just said in the first 11 verses what we talked about last week, would maybe lead his hearers, lead the Philippian church to think that he's arrived, right? That he's got it all together. Like, oh, I mean, he used to think this way. He used to put confidence in these things, but he doesn't do that anymore. Now he puts his hope in Christ. That's the secret. Christ, Paul, you're a genius. Teach us how to be perfect like you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I I can teach, but I'm not perfect. Or, there might be another perspective in the church. Oh, so you used to rely on your resume, huh? You used to put your confidence in earthly things, huh? But now you put your hope in Christ. Hmm. So you found the secret. So you think you're better than me? Perfect Paul? Whoa, 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 whoa. Where'd that come from? No. Not perfect. You see, whatever perspective someone in the church came from, Paul wants to be undoubtedly clear. I'm running the same race you guys are. We we are on this journey together. I, I still struggle like you guys do. I still sin like you do. I'm the biggest sinner I know. And I know a lot of people. Paul is identifying himself as just a fellow runner. He isn't better than them. And for a ragamuffin like me, that brings me so much hope. Uh, Maybe this will help. Um, Earlier in the summer, uh, I was out on the baseball field. Grant um, was doing this all-star team uh, for his league, and it was such a fun um, experience. Uh, There was one of the earlier practices where um, I'm out on the field helping. And um, so there's 14 kids out there, and I know who most of them are. Okay, Um, That's just what happens when you play against them during the season. Uh, you know, there's 200 kids, there's, there's, you know who all the players are, um, and I know most of these kids out here with Grant, because, but there are a couple kids I don't know. Um, I know the three coaches of the team, but then there's this other dad on the field helping as well, and I don't know him, and I'm thinking, okay, he must belong to one of the kids I don't know, and so over the course of this two-hour practice, he and I, this other dad I don't know, 
um, he and I are getting, getting to know each other a little bit, right? Uh, we're helping run some stations on the field and we're asking questions about each other and so I learned his name is Coleman. Hey, nice to meet you, Coleman. My name's Saul. Yeah, when am I changing my name to Paul? Yeah, mm-hmm. Never heard that one before, right? Um, his son on the field is Josiah, one of the kids I don't know. I'm thinking, awesome, Josiah, good biblical name, king of Judah. I learned that tomorrow at the church that he goes to, they are having a church picnic after church with water stuff outside for the kids. I'm thinking, cool, he goes to church. I learned that he's about to head to Nashville for the week, um, which was a little funny because they're about to have the SBC convention in Nashville that week. Huh, okay. Where do you go to church, Coleman? He's like, yeah, yeah, me, me and my family, we, uh, we go to Katie's first, which is right down the road. That's, you know what's funny? Yeah, I know, I know Katie's first. But you know what's funny? The guy who's the lead pastor at Katie's First, his name is Coleman. Right, Coleman. I, uh, I was talking to the pastor at Katie's First, and I didn't even know it. I, mean, I knew that the guy who was the pastor at Katie's First, his name was Coleman. I just didn't know what Coleman looked like. But now I do, okay? He says, yep, you got me. Coleman Philly, nice to meet you. He asked me where I go to church. I tell him Redeemer. He says he loves Redeemer. He loves you, Mitch. He says he and his family are praying for you, Mitch. This was two days after you announced. He's praying hard for you. And he tells me, you know, Saul, I got to hand it to you. Uh, that did not take very long for you to figure out I was a pastor. He says uh, typically takes people a lot longer than that. And so I was like, oh, so you don't tell people that you're a pastor? He said, yeah, well, most of the time, I don't lead with that. I don't know what your philosophy, philosophy behind that is, but he doesn't lead with that. I think I know why. I can understand that. He doesn't lead with telling people he's a pastor. You see what Coleman is doing there with me? He was just trying to identify with me. Hey, sounds like you're a fellow believer in Christ. Me too. We're on this journey together. So we get after Christ together. And that's really what great spiritual leaders in our lives do. They don't make us feel inferior to them. They don't look back as they're running and think losers. They joyfully follow Jesus. And help others do the same. Because we all need help. And because none of us arrived. You know what happens when you realize you still need to grow? You begin to see others the way that God sees them. You're less critical. You're more gracious. You're less pompous. You're more forgiving. You, you grow less self-righteous. You realize that resume that Paul talked about last week is all lost compared to knowing Christ. You become quicker to point out evidences of grace in others rather than their faults and sins. You become like Paul, the biggest sinner you know, and your love for Christ and your yearning for him grows because you realize you need him all the much more. We have yet to arrive. We've yet to arrive. I wish we could talk more about this, but we still have more to go on. So 
Here's another thing that helps us get after Christ. We pursue Christ by pressing on, by forgetting behind, and by straining forward. Look what he says in verse 13. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul says that he presses on. He is not stagnating. He hasn't become complacent with where he is. He presses on, running after something, or in his case, someone. He totally gets that Jesus Christ laid hold of his life on that Damascus road. You see, on that road, Jesus meets him and he says, Hey, listen, Saul, I I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. You think you know God, but that could not be further from the truth. But from this moment forward, Saul, you're mine. You're mine. I'm making you my own. And so because Christ has made him his own, Paul presses on and makes Christ his own every day of his life. He presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is a prize that will not be fully realized until the end of his life. He doesn't get this prize during his race. The prize is awarded when he crosses the finish line, and that line is between this life on earth and when God calls him home to heaven. And until then, he just presses on, plugging away. You remember that zeal that we talked about last week, that uh, in his resume, he, he said, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. That's how zealous I was. I was so on fire that I persecuted the church. He was so passionate about that cause, it led him to persecute. And he says, don't put your confidence in that. Your zeal, your passion could be in the wrong thing, just like I had. But now, all that zeal that he had before Christ has now been rerouted for the sake of Christ. For the upward call in Christ. It's an inspiring thing. Pressing on. It's the main thought here, but it's supported in the previous verse by what we call participles. So, uh, in essence, it's a bit like saying, hey, hey, you know what it means to press on? You want to know how I press on? Here's how I do that. Here's one thing I do, he says. Here's one thing, not 12 steps or 40 days to do this. One thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I straight forward to what lies ahead. That's what I do. That's my thing. I forget what's behind. It's as if he knows a backward glance will slow him down. And, and, And so this idea of forgetting isn't so much the idea of cleansing from your memory. Like, like he isn't saying that, that the men in black show up with that device and flash, and then he, he like, new memory. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, oh yeah, I, I remember. I just don't pay any attention to it. And, and the things that he forgets or doesn't pay attention to are, are likely the successes he's had in his life more so than his failures. Uh, Those things that Paul included in his resume last week, so those things by themselves that don't have the power to make him more like Christ, um, uh, 
A, a lot of us can point back to our glory days, right? We, we like to talk about our glory days sometimes. Um, a lot of our successes can lead us to this unhealthy tendency to cling to those glory days. Um, you, you know, I've realized that my kids love to, to uh, hear me tell stories of my past, right? Um, how a California kid ended up going to college in Oklahoma. Uh, how I met their mama. How on our second date, I gave a guy a bloody nose, right? You know what kind of stories they hate? The stories where I'm the hero. If the story ends with them saying, Dad, you're such a klutz, they're in. There's a lot of those stories. But if it ends with them thinking, gee, Dad, I can never be like you. Well, those don't go over so well. Because sometimes Dad likes to live in the glory days, pointing to his past accomplishments. And those accomplishments can give him an attitude problem. You see, Christians shouldn't walk around in this life with a swagger. We should be more like Jacob after wrestling with the angel walking around with a limp. And even with the limp, we strain forward like Paul. Some of us are sprinting toward the finish line with, with very little hindrances, pressing on with everything you have, getting after Christ, and that's awesome. And there are some of us, we've been beat down in life, trial after trial, suffering after suffering, limping, hobbling, crawling, dragging, but you're pressing on, straining forward with everything you have and with every ounce of the Spirit helping you, getting after Christ, and that's awesome too. Uh, one thing I hear, one of the tricks in running is to lock your eyes onto a runner who is just in front of you. Not looking behind, but rather what is right in front of you. And gradually over time, if that's where your focus is, you can cover a lot of ground. Church, we are a forward-looking people. We are focused on the hope that we have Christ, that Christ will come again. That we are being more and more conformed into the image of his Son. And that one day we will too be crowned with the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Which leads us into what he says next. What helps us get after Christ? We follow heavenly minded examples. Look what he says in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So that can be a little weird to hear, right? Hey, follow me. Just, just follow me. Just do what I do. But that idea isn't so much follow me and whatever I do, but hey, rather follow me in my way of life in Christ, of my life in Christ Jesus. Follow Paul's example as he follows Christ's example. That great Christological passage that, that Mark alluded to this morning, uh, back in chapter 2, Paul is telling us that Christ lived his life in humble service to others. That he puts the interest of others above his own. And if that's how Christ lives his life, that's how Paul will live his. He is single-minded about that. 
And if that's how Paul lives his life, then church, we imitate Paul and live that way too. And so that's what Paul's calling us to here, just a life of radical discipleship. He's calling us into a, hey, we're all in on Christ Jesus with laser-like focus. Our hope is him. Our joy is him. Our life is him. And we should be marked by that and be known by that, that Jesus is our God. And so what you should know about me, the closer you get to me, is that this is a guy, this is a girl consumed with Jesus in his name. That's how you and I should be known. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, imitate me, follow me. As I follow Jesus, you follow me. But not only follow him, but also follow others. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul isn't the only example. We need to have other mature believers around us and follow them that help us get after Christ. We find good examples to imitate, but, but in that, we realize that there are some examples that we should maybe just avoid altogether, actually. Those whose God is their belly and glory is their shame and whose minds are set on earthly things. He's probably talking about those Judaizers that we talked about last week. Those that point to their earthly accomplishments about their glory days, they point to those stuff for earning a right standing with God. And as much as Paul gets angry with them, he talks about them with the Philippian church with tears. They bring great sadness to Paul. These people, they're a negative influence. They point you away from Christ. They come into the church like dogs. They steal your joy. So don't follow them. Don't follow their example. Uh, church, I think it's very possible that we often veer into one of these two examples, actually. Uh, it happens gradually, and most of the time we don't even know what's happening. I've, I've seen it. I, I, I've seen um, in, in the older men in my life, uh, there are some men that I have encountered over the years that are the most gracious, most compassionate, uh, most point-me-to-Christ type of men there are. They are forgiving. They are gentle. They are lowly in spirit. Their speech is seasoned with salt. They acknowledge and repent from their sin. They believe the best about others. They are so spiritually mature. And what I mean by that is they show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So point me to Jesus, maybe. And then there are others who start to grow in maybe like a curmudgeonly spirit. You know, kind of like a get-off-my-lawn kind of attitude. They're critical, not forgiving. They make fun of those who are gentle or those who are lowly. Their speech is not seasoned with salt but with divisiveness. They don't point me to Jesus, man. They point me to them. How great they are, or their so-called spiritual points that they're storing up, but Paul would call all of that dung. They don't repent from sin because they're too busy focused on the sin in others. And so are you pointing others to Jesus? Are you so captured by the gospel, captured by the upward call 
of God that we have in Christ Jesus. That as you get closer to the finish line, as you head out, you are so concerned with, hey, one more. Come on. Earlier in the summer, we were in chapter one of this letter. And uh, Brian Halila was preaching. And I don't know if you remember, but before we dove into the text, um, he just talked to us. He, he told us actually to do something this summer. He told us to do something. He told us to watch Mitch as he goes through his cancer. You remember that? I do, because I sat there like, wow, that's a lot of pressure. But he told us that because we need to have great heavenly-minded examples in our life. Watch Mitch as he endures this trial. Watch Mitch as he clings to his confidence in Christ in this trial. Watch Mitch as he never stops loving Tara in this trial. Watch Mitch as he never stops loving his girls in this trial. Watch Mitch as he never stops loving you in this trial. Watch him keep running his race. We need good, heavenly-minded examples. And then lastly, Paul finishes in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. One more thing here, and we'll be done. One more thing here that helps us get after Christ, and it's this. Never stop being amazed with the gospel. Do you realize what we just read? You're a citizen of heaven, like heaven. Which means you, this earthly you, running your earthly race, that is not the sum of your existence. Uh, C.S. Lewis would say that you were made for another world. And we are awaiting a Savior, Jesus, which means rescue is coming. And Jesus, what he'll do for each one of us who are in him, he's going to transform our lowly earthly bodies into a glorious one just like his. I mean, like, what? That's crazy. You couldn't make that up. I mean, you couldn't make that up. Does what we just read wow you? Does the story of Scripture still wow you? Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe you've been in church for a long time, and grace be to God for that. But if we're not careful, this message can start to become a, a bit old hat for us. Kind of ho-hum. Have you lost the wonder of what the Spirit is saying here? Does this story still wow you? Like when you read it, like, are you left to say, wow? Are you left undone? Or like Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, like, walking in the presence of God. I mean, all you can say is holy, holy, holy. 
This story, you and I were born in a world sinners, deserving of an eternal death, away from the presence of the Father. But Jesus, the Son of God, comes to this world. He was born of a virgin. He lives a life without any hint of sin. He performs miracles that we feebly try to explain with felt boards. He then dies a gruesome death on a cross, a death that we deserve. And in that death, he pays the penalty for our sins and provides redemption. I mean, come on. That redemption, that means we can be reconciled back to God. A few days later, after his death, he busts on up out of a tomb they put him in. You realize what I just said? Like, uh, a guy's dead and buried, but then not anymore. And then he rises up into the sky, he, he tells his people he's going to come back, and today... He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling, reigning, in sovereign control of this world. And every now and then, he takes a look at his watch because he knows there's an expiration date stamped on the devil's little head. Tick, tick, tick. And one day, that alarm will go off. And he will then turn to the Father and say it's go time. And then he will appear in the sky riding a white horse and rightfully claim what is his. Man. Church, we run our race knowing what we just said is true. Like when I read like Romans 8, I have a hard time not being undone. I have a hard time containing myself. Like there's no condemnation for me anymore. Really? Uh, I'm an adopted child of God? Are you serious? Like, if God is for me, nobody can be against me? Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Like, no way. Jesus says, yes way. Church, revel in that good news daily. Marvel at his redemption every chance that you get. Boast in his cross and only in his cross. Fill your affections with the knowledge that Christ has made you his own. Bought, paid for, and so we get after Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for not um, leaving us where we are in, in our sin in our guilt, and in our shame. Thank you for loving us enough to convict us. Thank you for loving us enough to transform us. And because of your sin, our sins have been completely paid for. And now we've got a race to run. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who, who gives us the power to run that race in the first place. Thank you for providing in Jesus the perfect example of how to run our race. Ultimately, we look to him as he is the, the author, the, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. Lord, for those who are sprinting, for, for those of us who are running, for those who are jogging, for those who are crawling, help us. Help us to admit that we have not arrived yet. Help us to press on and, and forget what's behind and just keep straining forward. 
Help us to follow the pattern of of the heavenly-minded examples that you put in our lives. And help us to never, ever stop being amazed at the message of the gospel. It's the greatest news in the world. Help us to forget our glory days and instead be focused on your day, the day of glory. A a reward for a life life well-lived, a life ran hard after Christ, and with the help of your Holy Spirit. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen.